really matters? That might be the most important question you can ask. So let's talk about it. Welcome to What Really Matters podcast, Everyday Spirituality with Karen Wyatt. Thanks for joining me here today for another episode. I want to talk a little bit practically about resolving conflict in our relationships. And I have a couple of practices I want to share with you. These are things I've been reading about through the Greater Good Science Center that have actually been studied during research projects. So I want to share a couple of tools with you to uh, help you perhaps in your relationships and things that I've been using in my own relationships. As I look around me right now, I just see so much conflict and unrest and strife between people, all types of people in all types of settings. It feels like we're all just continually annoyed with one another. And I see so many fingers of blame being pointed, so many hurt and wounded feelings, so much triggering of our own emotions in interactions with one another. And so we need to turn this around a little bit and be thinking about how can we constructively resolve conflicts in our relationships so that we don't end up getting to this point of so much resentment and hostility for other people. So the first practice I'll talk about from the Greater Good Science Center is taking a third person perspective in our relationships. And this is similar to I talk about taking the galaxy view, trying to view things from your own higher consciousness. But I like the way that they describe it here in talking about the downward spiral that can happen when a conflict occurs between two people and they're describing it in a romantic relationship to begin with. But if one person criticizes another and the other person becomes defensive and then retaliates by saying something hurtful to the other person, this exchange can go back and forth and get worse and worse and deeper and deeper into our own woundedness with more and more negative and hurtful things being said and emotions go out of control and anger continues to spiral and the defensiveness and the separation between the two people grows larger and larger as this argument progresses and raise your hand if you've ever been in a, a conflict like this, maybe something that started so simply like asking, why did you leave the milk on the counter? <laughs> and, you know, 15 minutes later, knives are out and you're having the biggest worst shouting match you've ever had in your life, talking about each other's parents and families and bringing up all kinds of old, old history between you. So this downward spiral can be very damaging to our relationships. It can take a while to recover from the pain that we heap upon each other when we get into this kind of cyclical conflict and attacking one another. 
And sometimes we don't fully heal. Like sometimes the damage we do during one of these arguments becomes the fuel for the next argument and gets added to and built upon in layers each time another conflict occurs. So this tool of trying to learn how to interrupt the spiral and how to take a different perspective on the conflict that has happened is very helpful in the present moment, but it's also helpful for the future, for other times in the future when we may have conflicts that arise. At least we're not adding to the layer of baggage that we're carrying, which may help us get through a future conflict more easily, but we're also learning a new tool that we can use in the future as well. So the example that they use of a situation in which we need to take a higher perspective is one in which our partner cancels dinner repeatedly and we feel hurt because it seems that that partner doesn't respect us, doesn't care about us because they're not honoring the plans that we have made and not following through. But when we're able to take the third person perspective, the higher perspective, which means we're asking ourselves, how would someone else looking at this situation view it? We remember that the other person is overburdened at work right now and that this person does show care and respect in other ways, but literally and honestly is too busy and too burdened to be able to keep up with the dinner plans that have been made, perhaps shouldn't make those dinner plans in the first place, but it helps us find a little bit of compassion toward the other person. So there's a caveat here that we don't want to excuse or rationalize unacceptable behavior. So sometimes people really are hurting us because they don't care. Sometimes that is the problem that we need to recognize that we may be in a relationship with someone who doesn't respect us and doesn't really care about us. And then we have to reevaluate the relationship altogether. So this practice is not at all for excusing someone else's behavior and keeping us stuck in a bad relationship. This is a practice to use when we know we're with the right person. We just have these areas where conflict seems to erupt and we need a little help getting through those. So hopefully we're talking about a healthy relationship here where, of course, in any healthy relationship, there's still conflict that arises at all times. So the steps that they recommend, this is again from the Greater Good Science Center, is right now to think about a major disagreement you've had in the recent past with your partner and evaluate how much distress you're feeling over that still, even though the argument was in the past, how much pain or discomfort or negative thoughts do you have about that argument? And try to think through the disagreement from the perspective of a neutral third party, say someone else who was observing what happened. I sometimes use the example of thinking about it as if a news reporter was going to write a story about it. Someone who doesn't have any emotional involvement in the scene that took place, who's just reporting on the facts. This person said this, this person said that, but then tries to expand from there to understand 
what else was going on for each of those two people involved in in the argument? What other factors were present that might have influenced the behavior of each person? So from that third person perspective, and it's really helpful if you write this in your journal, that's what I find the most useful to be writing it down to look at, you might be able to see and understand reasons why the other person behaved the way they did, but also to understand yourself better. You might see within yourself like, oh, wow, that brought up that feeling of shame that I had when I was 15. And my mother did this to me, like, that's what was really going on. I was reliving that moment and taking it out on my partner. So you might find some sort of revelation and deeper understanding of your own behavior, even while you're looking at the bigger perspective of your partner's behavior. So the next thing to do is actually think about the obstacles to taking this bigger perspective of the argument. The ideal would be if you could get into that perspective in the middle of the argument, because it may help you not escalate things if you suddenly recognize like, oh, well, I suppose part of the reason you're acting this way or that you did that or the reason you're saying this is because of all the stress you've been under, is because of something else that's happening in your life. Maybe that's contributing to this. Wouldn't it be fantastic if you could see those things during the midst of an argument? I think that would be the stretch goal here to be able to get to that point. I doubt that most of us can actually do that, though. In the midst of an argument, emotions are so heated. And and when emotions are in control, we don't have that ability to have that kind of rational thought most of the time. But think of it as a goal for the future to to work on that. Can I get myself into a calmer, quieter state when an argument is about to erupt, where I can take a bigger perspective, I can step back and say, wait a minute, what else is happening here? Why are those explosive feelings coming up in me? Where is that coming from? And what else is going on for this other person? And do I could I have more compassion for them? Would that be helpful? So another reminder is in the heat of the moment when you are in an argument, if you can stop, if you can pause for just a second and take a deep breath, that might actually help you get to that point of more calmness and clarity in the midst of an argument. So for now, that could actually be a good, a good practice to develop when tensions are rising and you feel yourself ready to shout at someone, if you can pair that feeling with the desire to take a deep breath and and just pause for a second, that might actually help you tone things down and bring the energy level down just enough so that you don't completely lose it. So in the practice that you're doing right now, as you think about an argument from the past, it's helpful if you review the whole thing and think about when might I have been able to stay calm? When might it have made a difference in the escalation that happened if I had stayed calm and if I had just not said that one thing? And what would it have taken to be able to be calm in that moment? Would 
is there any situation in which that's possible that I could stay calm and not say the hurtful thing that comes to my mind that I want to say? Is there any way that I can reevaluate it and stop? Because for one thing, we don't want to just repress and eliminate the hurtful things that come to mind because oftentimes those are clues to our own wounds, to what needs to be healed within us. So we do want to be able to look at, wow, I thought of saying this and it's horrible and it's really hurtful, but where did that come from? And it can be a clue to a way in which we're wounded and still hurting deep inside and something that we need to focus on within ourselves. And sometimes it's also a clue to an underlying issue that needs to be resolved in the relationship a problem that maybe hasn't been addressed in a healthy way for a long, long time that keeps coming up over and over again. So it may be a clue that we have some work to do here. We're not going to do that work in the middle of an argument, but in the future at another time when we're both calm and when we're feeling close and intimate, that might be a time when we could talk through what was happening when both of us got triggered and how can we become healthier as a couple to address that. So by no means am I saying um, ignore or eliminate the hurtful things that come to mind to say. It's It's helpful if you don't always just say them, but if you notice them and remember them so that you can look at that more deeply at another time, I think that can be really helpful. And then they suggest that you just commit to try to use this third party perspective during interactions and disagreements with your partner for a certain amount of time in the future, kind of do a little study. And you have to be intentional. You have to really want to try to do this to de-escalate your arguments. And it may be helpful if you get your partner to do it as well. And to say, what if we each commit to trying to stop ourselves? And it's really important to do this earlier in the conflict, maybe right away in the conflict. Like, wow, that person just asked me why I left the milk out and I feel overwhelmed with shame and I want to defend myself and I want to yell at them about something they did that they overlooked or forgot last week. But why am I so shamed about that? It's not that big a deal that I left the milk out for an hour. And, you know, so be willing to start to look at the very initial conflict as soon as it happens before things escalate. That's the point at which you have the best chance of intervening. You have to also be willing to be vulnerable because in this process of finding a better way to work through conflict with your partner, you need to be able to share your inner world and what's happening inside of you. You need to be able to talk about your wounds. You need to be able to listen to your partner talking about wounds as well. So it's going to take a little work to get comfortable with that level of vulnerability as well. And sometimes you know, we may decide I'd rather argue <laughs> than talk about how I actually feel deeply hurt and ashamed inside and I feel like I'm a five-year-old child inside I'd rather argue with you than tell you that that's what's happening within me that 
can be true. But I have a quote here from Brene Brown. Uh, If you've heard of her, she writes a lot about vulnerability and the importance of being vulnerable. She says, vulnerability is the birthplace of connection and the path to the feeling of worthiness. If it doesn't feel vulnerable, the sharing is probably not constructive. So I love that the birthplace of connection, if we want to have a true, deep, intimate connection with our partner, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. And that act of being vulnerable is actually the way that we rise above our own shame and begin to feel worthy ourselves. But it takes some courage. (laughs) And so I think it's a good reminder if when we're sharing with the other person and we don't feel vulnerable inside when we're talking about ourselves, then we haven't gone deep enough. And we may not be saying anything that's going to be helpful or that's going to work and make a difference. So we really should feel vulnerability and a little bit of fear as we're sharing this intimate information with our partner. So the Greater Good Science Center did do a research project on this this project with couples, and they found that after using this perspective uh, practice during their times of disagreement and conflict, all of whom had reported some issues in their marital quality at the beginning of the study. After doing this for one year, those couples came back and reported that their, the quality of their relationship had improved and they felt reduced stress around conflict in their relationship. So the study showed it definitely made a difference. So I'm working with this practice in my own life and thought this would be a great thing to share with you in case you're interested in using this higher perspective or third person perspective in your relationships. And then the second tool and practice that goes hand in hand that I also got from the Greater Good Science Center, which I absolutely love their work because they are studying the tools that they recommend. They've done scientific research on these tools. So it isn't just, oh, what a good idea. This is a theory (laughs) that should work. It's actually a tool that they have used. uh, And so they're validated and real. So this tool is on making an effective apology. So this kind of goes hand in hand with the third person perspective is that there may be times when we recognize like, wow, uh, that argument we had that came from me. And something I said something really hurtful, or I did something hurtful to that person. And now I feel bad about it. And I would like to make amends for it. And so this tool just talks about how we actually apologize to another person, which I like that we don't learn this very often, you know, no one's there to teach us how to apologize. And we may learn how to say, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry, you feel that way, which is a really backwards way of actually blaming the other person when we're, when we're supposedly apologizing. I think there are a lot of dysfunctional ways to apologize that may not actually make the relationship better. But I liked these elements of 
and effective apology that they mentioned and have studied, as I said. So number one, the first step, acknowledge the offense. And so this takes some vulnerability. Once again, your ego will feel hurt and scared and wounded and upset that it has to admit that that you've done something wrong. But it's really important that you be able to acknowledge that you behaved in a way that you don't feel good about. And so they emphasize making I statements like I made a mistake, rather than saying something mistakes were made. Because it's important that you show that you're taking responsibility for your own behavior. So I made a mistake. And also acknowledging that harm occurred and saying, I did something that hurt you is better, as I said before, than saying, oh, I'm sorry that you feel hurt because then you are leaving, turning it around and making it that person's fault that they feel hurt. And that isn't fully taking accountability for your own behavior. So number one, acknowledge the offense. Number two, provide an explanation. I think this is a tricky one. I think it's okay to say, um, I was feeling really sick yesterday and had a horrible headache and I didn't behave the way I should. It's okay to say that, but to remember that you're not really making an excuse because too often, I think we may understand the reasons behind our behavior, but that doesn't make our behavior okay. So we're not making an excuse. We're not saying what I did was justified because something else was going on with me. But it may be helpful to the other person if they're hurt, if they have that bigger view of what's going on, you're helping them get more of a third person perspective. If they understand that something else was happening for you in that moment that contributed to the, the bad behavior or the behavior, the hurtful behavior that you did, it, it might help that person understand you better. But again, emphasize that this is not an excuse. This doesn't justify how I behaved, but uh, it can be helpful if the other person un- understands your situation and what else was happening during that conflict that you had. And the third step, so now we've been through, number one, acknowledge the offense. Number two, provide an explanation if that's appropriate. And number three, express remorse. So it's okay to say to the person, I feel bad. I feel bad about what I did. Um, it, It wasn't right. And as much as our ego shies away from feeling shame and humiliation. Our ego does not want to go there and does not want to recognize those, those emotions and those feelings. But I think it's really important that we do look at them and that we're able to talk about them that, you know, I've been feeling really bad about what I said ever since yesterday. And I, I want to tell you about that. I'm so sorry. And then number four is to make amends or attempt to repair the damage. Oftentimes, it's not possible to make amends. Many times there isn't anything we can do. What we've said or done has already happened. The damage has been done. The person has been wounded. 
And it's not as simple as here, let me buy you an ice cream cone, I'll do this. But maybe if if the damage is literal damage, like we broke something or damaged something uh, material, and we could replace that for the other person, that could be something to offer. And so it's possible that there may be something that you could do that would help make amends. And this, uh, the Greater Good Science Center gives as an example, maybe you could offer to attend marriage counseling. Um, maybe you could offer, you know, something else that you could do to help restore trust with the other person. And so I think, I think that's a good idea. But it's a this in this area, you really need to talk to the other person to see what actually would be helpful. Is there anything you could do that would help that would help restore trust or help them feel vindicated or respected somehow um, by the other person? Oftentimes, I think not. Oftentimes, in my experience, there isn't very much that you can do except do better the next time and demonstrate that you're working on it, that you're trying really hard to change your own behavior. And during this process, you might share if you have taken a third person perspective on the conflict, you might share to the other person your own understanding of how this conflict happened and how you got to the point of doing the hurtful behavior, whatever that was, you might be able to share your reasoning around it with that person, allow them an opportunity to share theirs if they're able to go there. The other person isn't always able to attain your same level of vulnerability and sharing and insight though. So you can't expect that the other person will come back and mutually apologize or show show insight and awareness or give you grace and compassion and acceptance either. The apology is primarily to make sure that you unburden yourself of the shame that you're carrying and you take responsibility for your behavior so that you can be at peace with yourself and have integrity and be whole within but you have to understand that it may not move the needle for the other person. They may not be at a place where they can forgive or let it go. They may need to stay angry for a while or to stay hurt. That's their issue and their problem. So when you do apologize to another person, you have to be free of attachments and free of expectations that you'll get something back from the other person. You have to be willing to apologize for whatever happens and knowing that if you're truly vulnerable and honest and transparent, you are going to begin the healing process within yourself, even if for a while the relationship doesn't actually improve. You're going to begin to heal yourself and to gain more awareness and insight into how to behave better in the future and more in alignment with your values and how you would like to behave. So the Greater Good Science Center says that apologies that include these elements, which I'll say again, acknowledge the offense, provide an explanation, express remorse and make amends. They seem to be more effective than other types of apologies because they satisfy the psychological needs of the offended person and they can restore dignity to the other person. 
And I think that's, that's really nice. It's ideal if it isn't just a one way process, though, because of course, if there's been an argument back and forth, both parties are suffering, both parties have been disrespected, both of us need to heal. So it isn't only about helping the offended person heal, but making sure that both of us have the opportunity to recover and to move forward. And so finally, in the study that the Greater Good Science Center did, or this is one they at least reported on, they found that acknowledging responsibility for something done wrong and offering to repair the damage were the most important elements in an apology. So that's just something to keep in mind, that it seems that taking responsibility for all of your behavior, whatever it is, and for all of your emotions, your thoughts, your actions, just for who you are and how you show up in the world. That's one of the most important factors in having genuine, authentic, deeply intimate, real and true relationships with other people. And then being able to say, I will try to make this better. I will I'm willing to do something to make it better. I think that's, that's, and it's interesting that the study showed that that was an important factor. Even though, as I was saying, I think a lot of times there's nothing we can do that's going to fix what has happened in the past. The apology, though, is the first step toward healing it, and that there might not be very much tangibly or physically that we could do that would make things better. But apparently, offering or asking if we can repair the damage. Just that alone is helpful, according to the study. So I, I find that very interesting. So I hope you find, as I do, that learning new tools is is really helpful. It just can help shift your mindset sometimes and inspire you. And during these times when we have a whole lot of unrest and discomfort and unhappiness going on all around us, we can learn a few tools that might help us resolve conflict in our relationships better so that so that we can feel more peace and compassion in our world. So I hope this is helpful to you and makes a difference for you. I wanted to ask you if you're interested in supporting this podcast to keep it on the air, if you would go to eoluniversity.com slash support. And on that page, you'll find three different ways you can make contributions to the podcast. You can sign up on my Patreon page to become a monthly contributor, but you can also just buy me a cup of coffee, donate a quick $5 here or there whenever you feel inspired. And you can make a one-time donation of any amount on PayPal. So you'll find links for all of those if you go to eoluniversity.com slash support. So thank you in advance. I appreciate you so much. I'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, remember we're here for love. So use these tools I talked about to help you grow in your ability to love others. And face your fear, be ready for whatever happens next, and love each and every moment of your very precious life. Bye-bye.